From the Virginia Audio Collective at WTJU 91.1 FM and Brown College at the University of Virginia, this is Symposia. Welcome to another episode of Symposia. My name is Sage Tangway, and once again, I'm joined by one of our lovely Brown College faculty fellows. I'm Benjamin Bernard, postdoctoral research associate, lecturer by courtesy in the Department of French, and of course, a resident faculty fellow at Brown Residential College. Could you tell us a little bit about today's episode? I research and teach about European history, but French history is really my specialization. Uh, Paris is where I undertake the majority of my research. Um, I've studied at universities there and spent uh, pretty much half of the last 10 or 12 years living there. Today we're here to learn about UVA's relationship with France from Professor Janet Horn, chair of the French department, and her French colleague, Vincent Michelot, who over the years together have built UVA's study abroad program in Lyon, France. So I wanted to hear how they did it, why they did it. We'll also get a chance to hear from some students who participated in the program. Although I'm certainly nowhere near being able to speak French, it was my language of study here at UVA. I have some family roots in the French-speaking world and grew up loving French music. Also, since French is the language of ballet, it was something I was familiar with through dance. What caused you to study French? Well, Sage, for starters, I don't have much of a kind of family connection to France, although some of my great-grandparents did live there for a time. I come from an upper-middle-class background, public schools, a private Ivy League university. More to the point, though, my parents and aunts and uncles, they all went to Paris at some point for their honeymoon. Uh, I think in American culture, France for a long time has represented romance and, of course, fashion and food, wine, uh, literature and culture. In middle school, I had the choice between taking French or Spanish. And the professors explained that Spanish is a practical language for Americans, whereas French is sort of a language for the whimsical artists. So my friends and I all started to learn French, and we really started from scratch in the public school system and loved it. Um, I also had great teachers. I mean, I, I, I liked every single one of them. Uh, Mademoiselle Turner, Kathleen Turner, uh, at, at my high school was recognized as Massachusetts Teacher of the Year at one point. Well, without further ado, let's take a listen to the interview you conducted with these two leaders of cultural exchange. I'm here with Vincent Michelot, the attaché for higher education at the French Embassy in the United States, and with Professor Janet Horn, the chair of the Department of French at the University of Virginia. Thank you both so much for being here and, and speaking with me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. A pleasure. Thank you, Ben. The French scholar, Joubert Chinard, who left France in the early 1900s and ended up teaching at Princeton during the interwar years, wrote once of the Mirage Américain, the American Mirage, that is the imaginary idea of what America represented to French expatriates. Can you tell us what drew you to study America in the beginning? What image did you have growing up in Clermont-Ferrand of the United States? Nothing drew me. The kind version was that I'm an accidental American in a way. I, uh, I came to the United States first when I was uh, four years old. And at the time, my father was a visiting professor at Wesleyan. Then the year after, he was a visiting professor at Yale. So I spent two years in between the ages of 
four and six in Connecticut. And that was the beginning of my career in American studies, American politics, American life. And then it was reinforced by the, the fact that from the, an early age I spoke English and we kept going back. I mean, my father went back to Wellesley College when I was uh, 12, and uh, we went back to California. And also, you know, I thought that this was a hell of an interesting country. I was actually uh, trained as a language teacher. I passed that French concours, a competitive examination, which is called the agrégation, to become uh, a teacher of English. But I mean, I thought that was that was interesting, but there was a time when uh, I, my wife confronted me and said, <laughs> you know, this, your heart is not where your work is or your PhD is. And I said, you're right, as usual. <laughs> and so what research topics did you end up focusing on in politics? Can you tell us about the subjects that you've well, taken up in Well, that's what brought me actually to UVA. I, I, I wrote my uh, PhD on uh, U.S. Supreme Court appointments. And at the time, the authority on Supreme Court appointments was uh, Professor Henry Abraham in the politics department here. And I was lucky enough to get a Fulbright scholarship. And I came to this campus in uh, 1991 and stayed for a year. And I was here, and that's where we met. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Professor Janet Horn, I would love to ask you about your own cultural interpreting between France and America. What brought you on the opposite path from Vincent Michelot to France? Yes, it's really interesting because there's nothing at all natural about my, <laughs> my attachment to France. There's no reason. You know, I am from Pittsburgh. I grew up in family that spoke no other language than English. My mother had a German father, so I did hear German and tried to speak German. I wanted to study it, and she said she did not want to hear German in her house anymore. So my first exposure to French was in Catholic school through nuns, I later learned, who were from an order that had fled France in the early 20th century in the years leading up to the separation of church and state in 1905. And so they, they were les filles du Saint-Esprit, and from Brittany, of the order ended up in North America, where they were educating Francos and various other Catholic French Americans. And you. And me, unbeknownst to them. So I'm, I was kind of amazed when I realized that I was the unexpected result of a Catholic mission school in the United States. Mm. And then my first year in public school, seventh grade, I saw a woman pull up on a motorcycle in a black leather jacket. And I said to my friend, who's that? And they said, the French teacher. <laughs> so, <laughs> so somewhere between that combination of the Catholic and the secular, there, there I was. But I also had a French teacher in high school. And I want to say that I think those teachers in the secondary schools, they are the people who really ignite, can ignite a passion in young people. And unbeknownst to me, and I just reconnected with her recently, she now lives in Virginia and is still teaching. Wonderful. She's training future teachers. And she had come back from study abroad. And there was something I didn't know that I thought she was French. Her name was Madame Saint-Ger. Madam Singer, as it turns out, oh. and she, I complimented her and said it was so amazing to have a, a native speaker of French when I was in high school. And she said, Janet, lesson time, I'm from Queens. <laughs> <laughs> but all along, I thought she was French because she had posters and she exuded something. She had us singing songs. I learned my R's singing 
you know, Edith Piaf. So I just kept bouncing along, and little by little, it helped me great, a great deal to have a language that was not my maternal language yeah. when I was becoming an autonomous person, and it helped me also develop intellectual autonomy. So it became very important to me. I went to study abroad in college. I thought I, I was interested in comparative literature at the time, much like Vincent. We had a we started in literary studies. Uh, I eventually went through a sociolinguistic phase. <laughs> I studied semiotics in college without having ever done linguistics, mm -hmm. and eventually I landed in history. You must have been very compelled to make it through those years of semiotics. I'm wondering, you know, the, the 17th century French philosopher Dominique de Bourg came up with this expression of a je ne sais quoi to, to represent the kind of aesthetic ineffability that you can sense without defining. Do you think you would have been as invested in French had you realized that your high school teacher was not a native speaker? Yeah, that's a really what, interesting What is the je ne sais quoi for you? I remember reading about, it was an old book from the 1980s entitled Outsiders in the Sacred Grove, and it was about women in academe. And there was something about girls studying languages and history and literature. There was a kind of transcendent capacity to these areas of study that allowed them to go beyond themselves. And they were searching, these girls, perhaps more than boys. That's the thesis, one mm -hmm. of the theses of the authors. So that je ne sais quoi might have been the ability to sort of just go beyond the accidental circumstances of my birth and imagine myself projecting myself into another culture, projecting myself into another historical time. Mm. And that was a space of creativity that I think helped me really structure myself inside. So mm -hmm. if we fast forward to yesterday, the French ambassador to the United States, Philippe Etienne, before his speech in Thomas Jefferson's Rotunda, bestowed upon you a chivalric order, the Ordre des Palmes Académiques, the Order of Academic Palms. Vincent Michelot, can you tell us about this order, about this honor? It's France's third highest civil honor, and it's specifically destined to reward and recognize the career of individuals in the academia at large, recognizing the merits of individuals who bring something very special to French-American relations. Janet Horn is one of them. I mean, she has uh, worked tirelessly throughout her career in bringing the two countries together in starting a conversation. This conversation can be rough, can be robust, can be full of sound and fury. And there's so many misunderstandings, so many cliches that we need to shoot down so that, you know, we can speak on the same plane. Janet, can you tell us a little bit about the medal ceremony? Yeah, it's funny because I, I knew about the award. I mean, I knew about the, the distinction. But the actual moment of a ceremony is something very unique and very unexpected. It moved me to think about, well, first of all, in this beautiful room in the rotunda, looking back a little more closely and more publicly at my career, seeing my students in the audience, I could see they and were colleagues. proud and colleagues, <laughs> yes. And Vincent being there, you know, that mattered so much because of our our deep friendship. Yeah, it was kind of hard to keep my emotions in, in under control at, at, at times. And I was saying to myself over and over again, enjoy this. 
enjoy this. <laughs> Just let yourself enjoy this. And I, I noticed that the two of you after the ceremony shared a, a very special moment congratulating each other. Can you tell me a little bit about what was going through your mind after this happened? Well, simply 30 years of friendship. <laughs> yeah. Which come to a wonderful moment because uh, I'm also part of those very traditional French people who believe in rituals. And, you know, democracy should also have its rituals. And it's one of the most enlightening ones. It's not just, again, you know, uh, receiving a medal. It's what's behind the medal. Uh, and uh, it's working together. And yes, we, we've had an extraordinary uh, 31 years of, uh, of, of friendship and seeing that consecrated in a way in, uh, in that wonderful room uh, with the echoes, that was uh, something. You don't, we don't work for medals. We don't work for uh, salaries either. I mean, mm. no, or, mm. uh, otherwise <laughs> we'd be something, doing something else. But, you know, those rituals uh, of the Republic are, are mm -hmm. very, very important moments. I mean, I was happy for to do it for the department and for the the future of French at UVA. I underestimated how moving it would be for me personally. That's that's wonderful. In working together, in writing books together, you're contributing to another form of cooperation between the two countries. Mm -hmm. So you know, medals are medals, <laughs> but they, there's a lot of symbolism behind them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'd like to ask about some of the concrete projects that you've both collaborated on together over the years that, that this symbol represents. So you mentioned that you came to UVA on a Fulbright, uh, Vincent Michelot, in the early 1990s, where you met Professor Janet Horn at that time. Um, can you tell me how you first met and when your collaborations together began, and then what kinds of projects you've done together over the years? It's, again, it was so natural. I mean, uh, I, I was doing research for my PhD, but I was also teaching at the time at the French department. After I, I returned to France and, and got my first permanent pos uh, teaching position, I said, well, you know, uh, we need to have more students going each way. You know, and we started small. You know, the, one of the most common ways of starting an exchange program between a Department of French in the United States and the Department of English in France is to exchange teaching assistants. And that's how the program started. We, we, we had a teaching assistant at Lyon 2, and there was a teaching assistant in the French department at UVA. And then little by little, it's like, why not a, you know, a study abroad program? And then why not a summer program? Yeah. And why not a, a J-term? Little by little, gradually. And I would add Maybe that I think is another more personal dimension, but I think for Vincent and for me, living in living abroad and studying abroad changed our lives. And I think we wanted to make this opportunity available to other students. When I arrived in Virginia, you know, also the University of Virginia was a kind of magnet for a certain, I think Vincent mentioned it yesterday, not only, you know, training young political scientists, but training an entire generation of American historians, French historians of the United States. Mm. And the same year that we were, I, I, this was in 1991 when Vincent came on a Fulbright here, we also had another colleague, young 
as Vincent said, a young dashing, dashing young man who arrived in 1991 to do a master's degree in history, and that was the current minister of education in France, Papinjai. And then he was attracted to the University of Virginia because of Olivier Zans, another, what we say in French, passeur, another yeah. person who really has made it his whole life's work to examine both countries and their intersections, most notably, most recently, writing a very wonderful biography of Alexis de Tocqueville. So it was, well, remember, let's go back to 1991. This was the first war in the Gulf. The internet didn't really exist for civilians. I mean, we're going to be sitting on a rocking chair talking about uh, the old days. (laughs) When we wanted to have news about France, we had to get it through the newspapers, which arrived by surface mail. So they always arrived a little bit late. And in a war, there's nothing colder than a 10-day-old newspaper. Mm. I was given a shortwave radio from the, by the library so I could follow events more closely. Huh. I mean, this is the reality. So, And I re- yeah. remember when I got tenure, one of my older mentors here at UVA said to me, now you have to make this a place that you really want to stay. And I had to think about that. And one of the things that I really that really mattered to me was being able to keep France in my life and being able to go back and forth between Charlottesville and Paris or in, the, in that case in Lyon. And this study abroad program was not just altruistic. It helped me maintain that connection to That's France amazing. and got me to get to go back. So it was both personal. It's all kind of interwoven. And it is natural, I think, as Vincent suggested. Yeah. I think also once you've gotten into that very international approach to life, you, you, you enter a very different zone. There's no merit, for example, in my learning English, because I learned English when I was four. So, you know, when people say, well, you speak decent English, I say, you know, I have no merit because I learned it when I was a kid. Mm. And so that that's the natural part of my Americanness, if you will. Mm-hmm. The accidental part is that I am a child of the war in Algeria. Why did my father go to Wesleyan in 1964? He went because in 1958, he was 23. The war in Algeria had started. It was actually raging. He was dead set against the war. Hmm. He was going to go into a a career in classics. He had finished his master's in classics and was going to, you know, study to pass the aggregation, but in classics. Except that his father threw him out of the house for reading anti-war papers. Mm-hmm. And in 1958, instead of taking the aggregation to become a teacher of classics, my father ended up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, teaching French to kids. Mm-hmm. And from that, those two years that he spent in Michigan in the late 50s, he got one thing, which to a Frenchman in the early 1960s was weird. It's like the United States was the country of freedom. I'd like to then ask you about the kind of concrete aspects of setting up this study abroad program. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you have a, 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 had a natural collaboration with each other. On the other hand, we're talking about very different institutions that mm-hmm. have very entrenched bureaucracies and ways of operating. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any challenging moments in setting up these collaborations and study abroad programs? Well, if I could take that question a slightly different way, sure. I was, you know, I wanted to just emphasize that, you know, I, I mentioned yesterday that I was part of the 
President's 2020 Commission, which to internationalize the university. So how do you do that? Do you sit down in a in a boardroom and decide we're going to bring the University of Lyon 2, the University of Virginia together? No. I mean, you could do that, but that won't work. What really, I think, what really has made this sustainable is that we were, there's, it's the people who make these things really take off and, and last. I mean, we just plunged into it. In fact, if I, if I had been asked, you know, all these obstacles, well, their grading, your grading system, this has been in some ways a nightmare for what, what the University of What are some of those obstacles? So well, the, 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 the grading, grading systems that have to line grading, up? Grading, or... tuition is also, mm-hmm. you know. We couldn't, we tried to pay tuition to the University of Lyon 2 because that's what we do in the United States. We pay tuition. They didn't even have a structure set up to accept tuition payments, so they couldn't <laughs> accept any tuition. So that was a problem. So we just, but it was it was really a the the cross cultural kind of negotiating started from day one. But we didn't have it by any means figured out at the start at at the start. We just kind of went through it and tried and tackled each problem as yeah. they occurred. As it came up. And, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I want to be very modest. It's not rocket science. You know, it's like solving little uh, problems one by one. Uh, it's saying, well, you know, you, we can't pay tuition at Lyon 2, uh, even if you're getting credit from Lyon 2 or from Sciences Po, from the School of Government. Well, why not, you know, reciprocate instead of paying tuition, we have French students here. It's much better. Mm. Okay? Yeah, we asked, what do you right. want? What so, would make yeah, this work so, for you? So, it's very diplomatic. And, 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 then, yeah. and then the, the other thing uh, that's absolutely fundamental to understand is that people like shining, very symmetrical objects. <laughs> you're not going to run any kind of uh, international program if you're in, in that mood. Mm. You have to accept that our systems are different, that we want something different from what American students or, or academics want from their students. So we, you have to accept those programs to be asymmetrical, not for a P for a P, but, uh, you know. Yeah, it's all about negotiating difference. When students come here, it's a different healthcare system. When our students go there, I think they get an experience of what single-payer healthcare system is like. They get an experience often for the first time of what p- public transportation is like, you know. So there's all these differences, and that's part of the whole, the whole experience. What you really want to do is lift one by one, all the obstacles that make it difficult for a larger group of students to to go. And I want to insist on one point, which is that for quite a few students, both in Lyon and at UVA, going on a third year abroad or just a semester abroad is relatively natural because it's been part of the experience of their parents or, you know, other kids in their generation. But for a lot of French students and for a lot of American students who are first-generation students, who are minority students, the idea of going to, to spend like a semester abroad in France is daunting. I have students whose English in France is very, very good, but they believe that kind of English that we teach in French would never allow them to be fully functional in, uh, in a class in the United States. And what you have to work on is making them more comfortable, saying mm. that you can do it. Uh, 
Uh, and that's, uh, that, that's, that, yeah. that's, that's one thing. And also because, and touching upon one of uh, the aspects of your question, big difference, for example, between the two systems is that we love to lecture. I've spent half of my <laughs> career mm-hmm. yeah, lecturing to classrooms of two to 300, where it's halfway between theater and, uh, and scholarship. And when my French students returned from the United States, after eight classes on a seminar model where you're asked in class to discuss the readings that you've been assigned for the week, and the professor doesn't lecture much, but mm. is more someone who organizes a conversation. One image that always struck me is that was used by a lot of my students is like they said, but it's academic club med. <laughs> because they, they, they uh, thought med, that you professors, mean like a resort? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, because casual, uh, you know, they, they, they thought that the professor really didn't uh, do much and that uh, <laughs> there, there was too much attention paid to. Whereas the, our, our culture is one where the, the students have nothing really interesting to contribute to, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. to the conversation. Well, let's, let's hear the converse side of this. I mean, for, first of all, Professor Janet Horn, how do you pitch studying in the French education system to American students? So the ambassador yesterday mentioned that there are about 1,000 st- students who have come back and forth between UVA and Lyon on the mm-hmm. study abroad program. Why France? Why Lyon? And how, mm-hmm. what, how do you prepare them for what they'll encounter when they get there? Mm-hmm. And I'll just add, you know, when I have my students or mentees or family friends ask me about studying abroad in France, I always tell them, you can go to Paris, but you'll probably have a much easier time learning more French faster in a smaller city or a smaller town. So far, no one has taken my advice on this. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would have taken my own advice when I was a young person. Mm -hmm. So um, could you tell us a little bit about, yeah, why Lyon, why France, and and what to do when they get there? Sure. I mean, I do think, though, that is part of the pitch I make to uh, UVA students, is that if they study in Paris, chances, and especially now, I mean, it's changed quite a, a bit since I was their age, they will speak English. They'll hear English all over the place. In Lyon, it's less true. They have more of a chance. I mean, English is spoken, but it's still it's a little bit slower pace. I think it's a great fit for a student from, from Charlottesville. One of the things I, I realized is that many of the students who study abroad have not lived in a major metropolitan area before. So part of their experience is just living in a city and learning how to have street smarts and, you know, things like that. The one thing that students, while they're French, usually gets substantially better the longer they stay. The one thing, though, that is across the board, something I've noticed, they come back with greater self-confidence and usually better haircuts. <laughs> no, but the, the self-confidence part is a really big thing because they have confronted problems and they're really on their own. And it's only through those, getting through those difficulties. And, you know, they, they the whole curve of, oh, I'm going to France, it's, it's fantastic. And then they have a problem because it's not... The high won't last, and they will be criticized or they'll feel infantilized because they can't express themselves the way they would normally in English. Anyway, there are lots of just real-life situations that occur that are challenging, and it's getting through those moments that really does build you as a person. And so they come back with 
greater self-confidence. Thank you both so much, uh, Vincent Michelot and uh, Professor Janet Horn. It's been lovely to speak with you both. Uh, and I look forward to these uh, uh, wonderful developments, both in the French state's uh, investment in higher education and, of course, uh, our own departmental growth and, and change here at UVA. Yes, I do too, Ben. Thank you so much. It was so a much. great pleasure. Thank yes, you. thank you. It was really nice to not only learn about how they had developed this wide range of programs, but also to hear about their extremely personal connections to each other and the matter of cultural exchange between the United States and France. The reasons why Janet was drawn to France and Vincent to America uh, can maybe still speak to students today and, and help them think about adding new places to their, uh, to their repertoire. Let's take a listen now to two current UVA students who have participated in the Lyon Exchange Program. Like every student who goes through such an experience, both of them have their own unique relationship to the French language and international study. My name's Liam Mann. Um, I'm a fourth year at UVA, and I major in English and French. I went to Lyon this past fall, um, so that would have been like end of tail end of August, which was intimidating because I had a whole summer to anticipate leaving the U.S., which is the first time I'd ever done that at all. Hi, I'm Michelle. I'm a third year uh, studying history and French. When was the first time that you started studying French? I started studying um, my first year, just right at UVA. I studied Latin in high school, so coming um, to start a new language here was definitely a new challenge, but it's been really fun so far. Well, since college, uh, somehow I avoided it in, in high school, and then I did. I had to like get it in at the end, so I took like summer classes online, and I, I don't know. I regret it a little bit, but you know, I, I think I made up for it in college. <laughs> that is so interesting. Now I'm obsessed with. Language. I mean, I want to learn more. Yeah. Do you know why you were resistant to? It was. Language it's learning? scary to learn a language. It's really scary. You know, um, it's not just a whole new vocabulary. It's a whole new way of thinking. Um, and especially to an unmotivated student like myself for a long time, it was it's too much work, you know? It's like, ugh, I gotta learn this whole new way to think. That sucks. What first attracted you to the study of French? I've always kind of like liked the language. It's um, the way it sounded is always kind of fun with like the different pronunciations. And uh, my family is, has some connection to France. I know my family like originates from kind of the Elzac region on my dad's side, and then my mom's father's parents and my great-grandfather um, are from France. So I have a couple, like, family connections to there, so it's something that I think I kind of wanted to be able to learn, to feel more connected to my family, but also um, I just like the language, um, yeah. and it was fun. I, I, I say sometimes that my, my family really is my cultural connection to France. They're big Francophiles, but they're not at all francophones. They don't really speak a word of, of the language. And that was funny when they visited me in France to, to I guess, witness that firsthand. But um, so we always, I've always been attuned to, to, I guess, more the French aesthetic because I didn't really know much about um, the French culture. So I don't know. What's a, what's a French mascot? Like a rooster? Um, we, we lived in a, a French sort of styled, Louisiana-styled house as a kid. And so the... I don't know, the roots were sort of there, but I didn't have any real connection to the language until I got into to college. In, in high school, I read uh, Camus, um, 
in English, of course. And I, I kind of liked it. I, I enjoyed, I read The Stranger, as everyone I think does in high school. Um, and then I realized, oh, he's French. Interesting. Wonder what that's like. Um, and so that was my, that was my first, I guess, um, introduction to, to, um, culture and, and literature, uh, French literature. But again, I didn't go back and explore him until I was in college and, and was studying French. How did you decide to then study abroad? So it was the next step of my studies. It was an excuse. I always wanted to explore um, another country. I wanted to get out of the U.S. United States um, to go abroad. Everyone tells you when you're in a language, ugh, you know, you, you won't learn it just in class. You have to go and, and be immersed in the culture. And I found that was true. You're so, you sort of passively absorb the language just when it's all around you, when it's the, the language of the, of the um, environment that you're, that you're in. Whereas it's, it's amazing how much you miss when, when you just rely on English every day. It was scary. But I, I was excited. It was, a, it was a scary adventure. It was a fun, scary adventure. The first week and a half, I think, were really difficult because just trying to pick up um, most of the not only the grammar, which we were going over in class, but just the speaking part of it within itself. So it was really hard. But by the end of it, it like all clicked where I could like go in and order a coffee. And of course, my French definitely needs more work. Um, but it was a really good way to kind of get him back into the groove of things before I started taking more French classes in the next semester. And it's a great way to not only be immersed in a sense of practicing the language on an everyday basis for like a, about a month and a week, but it was also a good opportunity to experience um, how different smaller cues or expressions are used in French. Had you traveled internationally before that? I have. I guess my most recent place I've traveled would have been Italy, which I did I think my sophomore year, and then I've been to Israel, and my dad was born in Switzerland, so we went to visit his family there, Um, but that was way back when, and I've been to Greece as well. How did this experience compare to to those times? Yeah, so definitely different. Um, Certain parts, um, so like Lyon being in kind of like the eastern part, a little bit in the south of France is very close to Switzerland. So one of the things we got to check out was Nancy, which is like this beautiful like lake region with all these like mountains that you can see in the distance and you can see like Mont Blanc. And one of the free weekends, I got to um, check out Chamonix, which is like a little ski town. And it's really, really quite cool to go hiking around there. So that was kind of close to Switzerland. On the other side, a lot of the older towns, so within Lyon, you had like the Vieux Lyon, which is like the older part of the city. And that was pretty much closer to like Florence or things you would see in Italy because a lot of the streets are more narrow and like you have that traditional like by the river. So it's a lot more kind of very interesting in a way, but more of the um, newer part of the town in Bayville. So like kind of the center part of the city is a lot more modern where they have the these very elaborate and fancy shops on the bottom and then on the top you can tell their older architecture and this is actually closer to what I think I saw in Israel where within Jerusalem and but and kind of like the outskirts of the city you have a lot more newer buildings 
that are uh, on the bottom and then you kind of have the older ones which are like now the apartments and everything. So that was really cool to see the contrast. Obviously, jumping into a different culture is going to come with some challenges. Could you describe some of the more difficult aspects of going to France? I flew in um, to the airport, which is like a lot of airports far from the city, and had to figure out how to get there on a train, trying to stay awake because of the jet lag uh, was, was terrible. Showed up in the middle of this European city. Um, everything was strange. I had two very heavy suitcases with me and nowhere to stay for you know the next six hours. So um, I, just, I just sort of, you know, walk down the street with my, my big suitcases looking like the biggest tourist. My phone service didn't work. Couldn't figure out how to get that to work. I was trying to, to geolocate myself on this paper map. But you ever used a paper map? It's awful. <laughs> our phones are so much better. There were only a few students in our, in our university's and UVA's program, and I met up with them at, um, at the ho- hotel we were staying at. So, But again, th- those, those first couple hours were sketchy. Do you remember a moment when you were like, oh, I'm, I'm getting this? Mm. So I was prepared to a certain extent. I knew what to expect just on a f- surface level. So it wasn't, I didn't, I don't want to say that I ever really was culture shocked, um, as I would have been if I went to Japan or something, speaking no Japanese. And I don't know that it ever really clicked. I think when you go to another country, you have certain expectations and all those are all positively valence, like, oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to eat the best food. You know, I can't wait to da-da-da-da-da, eat this croissant and, and, and stuff. When you get there, it becomes a much more ambivalent experience. You understand the, the good of the culture and, and, you know, how that comes along with the bad. And I think that's, you're doing it right if you're doing it that way. I think that's a healthy way to experience the culture. I'm, I'm not like, you know, I don't, I don't come back from France waxing poetically about how much better the French are than the US, than, than Americans. They do some things better and they do some things worse. For me, it was struggling to remember the vocab, to remember how to what to use, um, to remember how to use it properly. And the good thing about the program is I got to wa- work with the teachers there for their office hours. So that was really helpful because I went a couple times and it was good to just like go over some of the um, parts that I didn't remember, the parts that I hadn't reviewed in a long time. So most people going into the program um, went or had just taken French, so they were very familiar with that, which is good. Um, so also being able to practice with my peers was very helpful because um, they would like give me little corrections and that really helped a lot. And the homework too, just like going over everything that we learned that day. And I think just being there and being able to practice and seeing what came across that people actually understood was the most helpful because then it was like you could pick out the little things like oh it's not pronounced like this it's pronounced like that so like very minor things that you can kind of shivvy out. I went there of course to to learn the language but you're not prepared I think for the social life it's different. Um, How so? The French, they like to sort of congregate in little groups outside of the university or whatever and, and smoke cigarettes and, and, and gossip. That can be a bit intimidating. It's hard to sort of penetrate those groups. You have to in, in a weird way. I didn't as much as I would have liked to. Um, I found I was lucky to find 
uh, a, a pretty big group of, of international students that came from all over the place. Um, and that was, that was good. Um, I wish I would have made more um, French French because I think my French would have improved even more than it did. One of my favorite things was visiting the museums. Um, when I was in Lyon, I got to visit the Museum des Beaux-Arts and the Museum de Confluence. They were both really cool in their own ways. Um, I really liked the Museum de Confluence. So that's kind of in the um, southern peninsula of the city. And it's really cool because they have all these emerging exhibits and they have a rotating exhibit. And one of the rotating exhibit was on the Lakota tribe um, from the United States. So I thought that was really interesting because they had all these like elaborate and very beautiful um, head scarves, headdresses, as well as vests made out of like smaller seashells. And it was really cool to see too how um, that was kind of intricately made and they had moccasins. So it's really cool to see that. And they also had like an exhibit um, a little bit talking about um, the treatment of Native Americans within the U.S. Um, so it was very interesting to hear and read about that from the French perspective, um, especially considering it's something that they're looking out onto. But France within itself has its own like colonial um, past. So it was really, really interesting to like see how they portray um, our own like nation and kind of that matter, um, but kind of parallel that to what they also have a history with. So that, that was quite interesting to see. With the Museum de Beaux-Arts, I really like that museum. There's a lot of modern art and contemporary art, but also a lot of more traditional art. So you have like a bunch of statues and like lions and like they do have um, an Egyptian exhibit that has a lot of very interesting things like these jeweled beetles um, on display, which are kind of cool. How was transitioning back to living in the United States? It came back surprisingly quickly. I'll, I'll give you a, a little anecdote. Like, so I'm, I was in France and, and no one really talks about work culture there, at least not in my uh, you know circle of students, I was never really asked a question like that. I get that I get asked every time I tell someone I'm an English major. Like, oh, what do you want to do with that? Like, I don't know. I'm an English major. No, uh, I want to go to more school. I want to you know. This is obviously not my end goal. Is what was what is usually where that conversation goes. In France, you tell them what they're what you do, and and they're like, oh, cool. End of conversation. And then it goes on to just whatever you know, fun fun conversations. And there's more of a culture of let's go out after class, let's go out after work to a cafe, to a bar, grab a coffee or a, or a beer, and just sort of enjoying each other's company. Politics can be can be discussed as well, but there's not like the pressure to talk about your career and work. And when I came back to the U.S., and not even actually before I even got to the U.S., I'm in Charles de Gaulle Airport, and the Two guys behind me are obviously American. They're from like DC, or they're they're like some they're in the DoD or something, and they're talking about like how uh, Stephanie in HR is giving them a hard time. And so it was just two col. It was a colleague conversation, of course, but it was a that was actually a reverse culture shock. I don't know if you hear about this a lot, but the the whiplash of coming back to the U.S. and saying like, oh, this is my life seems a little strange now, having having experienced another perspective. Um, and then, yeah, when I came back to the U.S., uh, it was like when I would hang out with my friends, like, you know, oh, where are you working? Like, I, I've been back for a week. It's, I don't, ha you know. <laughs> I'm yeah, living. I'm living. 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, one, for one thing, the, the French have a very um, fleshed out retirement and pension system. Everyone is pretty sure. I mean, now it's a little, who knows now, you know, with the, with the um, protests. But everyone is, is sure that at a certain age, they're going to retire and live comfortably. Whereas in the U.S., that's, that's tied to how well we perform over our career a little bit more. Um, and so there is more pressure to think about career when, it's, when your retirement's on the line. Um, but it's also in the U.S. We have the culture of, of, you know, overachieving. Through the course of our conversation, both students insisted they wanted to return to France, and Michelle has actually already gone back since her time in Lyon. Yes, um, I applied for the J term in Paris, so that was really cool. Um, that was only a two-week program, but it was a really good way to kind of explore like the main plaza france um the main like the city of lights so it was really really cool to get to explore the city and to learn about the history of the city within itself do you think you'll go back to france again i hope so but i'm not sure when but there's definitely a lot of different places i want to visit um one of them being um i want to go to Chateau Serre, I don't think I pronounced that right, but um, it's where they they had the Battle of Bella Woods during the First World War for the Marine Corps. Um, so I really want to be able to go there and kind of learn more about the history within that own battle. And then there's definitely like other parts, like I've never been to the south of France, so getting to visit Nice and like the other cities in the south as well, or like Toulouse and like even Dijon for the mustard. So definitely would like to go back some point, but not sure when. Finally, I asked them what they would say to another student who was considering going abroad. Do it. Do it. You know, it's, it's really fun. It's an adventure. It's such an amazing opportunity to, if you can afford it and you can make it work for, for you, I think you should definitely do it. Do it. Yeah, like definitely like don't feel intimidated um, if you feel like you don't know enough of the language because you'll definitely pick up more even if you're like not sure where. Um, or you don't really know much, definitely try it out because one thing is that I appreciate about it is it really humbles you. And with that, in a sense, you're able to learn more because you're more open to receiving things than if you kind of go in with a perception that, oh, you know, I know. So it is good to um, be humble about it and really be open. And a lot of my friends were able to study abroad as well. And just hearing their stories, um, like a couple, one of my friends went to like Jordan and another one like Morocco and getting to hear like what they experienced um, is really interesting as well and it, you, you gain like a, a sense of like really gratitude for being able to take this experience and then like see how that really impacts you later on I think probably like 20-30 years down the line you'll be like oh I remember when <laughs> so it, it definitely is fun and don't feel intimidated go for it it's a great way to learn more some pretty glowing reviews there. To finish up, Ben, will you tell us about your first experience in France? When I first went to France, it was on a summer study abroad program in college. And the night before our student accommodations opened at the Cité Universitaire, this kind of massive uh, student housing complex in the far south of, of the city of Paris, uh, I was crashing for a night with a college friend of my brother's. Uh, and so when I got off the plane, he basically said to me, you know, this is a French cheese plate. Uh, here's a steak. We're going out. 
get get ready. And he took me to this fabulous party. Someone's parents ran a kind of designer showroom for one of the luxury fashion houses, maybe uh, Yves Saint Laurent or something like that. And so the students all kind of met up there on the Rue Saint-Honoré, uh, a street name that I remembered because uh, in Victor Hugo's novel Les Miserables, the character Marius takes this street to get to the barricades in the urban uprisings of the, uh, of the 1830s. So it was at this, uh, this kind of party, my first night in Paris, that I uh, was hit hard by the realization that to study a language in a classroom and to sort of master the vocab and the grammar is one thing. But then to be a kind of confident and charming cocktail party guest in another language requires a lot more practice. Uh, it certainly, you know, you have to build on those baseline skills that, that, that you mastered in the classroom, but it also requires a, a much higher level uh, of facility with the language. Of course, despite this image that Americans have uh, in, in our popular imagination, France, of course, has social inequalities, it has poverty, it has internal divisions and, and diversity of all kinds. And, you know, it's, it's easy to forget that it's not all haute couture designer showroom lofts, right? Heavy industry, manufacturing, these are still major players there. And uh, you might have heard of the car companies Peugeot or Renault, uh, which are still popular. Uh, I learned much more about this side of things after college, back in Paris, working for a global company that was in the cable and fiber optic industry that, that was head, headquartered in Paris. So I think we can, you know, distinguish between what the scholar Gilbert Chinard, a Princeton French literature professor in the 1930s, uh, called the mirage of a country, the image that it manufactures of itself, from the structure of the economy. Yet at some point, I think we start to see that the mirage becomes a reality. So Paris is still one of the most visited cities in the world. Tourism makes up uh, you know, something like uh, 7 to 10% of the country's GDP. Uh, and if we add to that fashion and luxury products and you know, food and wine, these account for a major proportion of the economy there. For me, I, I'd say you know, going back to my first encounter with, uh, with uh, life in Paris, to consider France is also a way to think about the place of these values of, of pleasure-seeking and luxury and, uh, and consumption and, and beauty in all of our lives. And, and so that's why I teach a class here at UVA called Decadence, the Ethics of Excess. Um, and it's really my jumping off point um, for why studying France matters for Americans today who maybe don't necessarily have a personal connection or family roots in that country. You can find more information about UVA's French Study Abroad programs on the French Department website. Thank you to all of our guests for taking the time to share their stories with us. We'll leave you with a final word from Liam. If you were to say something to your younger self, who is so afraid of, of engaging in language learning, what would you tell that person? Mm. Well, I think this could be said of every aspect of my younger self and my current self, but just relax, chill, it'll come. Um, it's like anything, it's like any habit, you know, that's, it, it's like working out or, or exercise or, or anything. It takes a long time, it doesn't come in one day, but just relax and then just hitting yourself over the head with the French hammer every day, a little bit, um, goes a long way. Symposia is a production of the Brown College Community Media Initiative and the Virginia Audio Collective. 
This episode was produced by Sage Tangway and Ben Bernard, with production assistance from Britton Graber and Sophia Moore. Subscribe to Symposia and our sister show, Circle of Willis, wherever you get your podcasts.